I want to take you back to June. Way back in June, three months ago. <laughs> uh, it seems like a lifetime and a half ago. Um, when uh, we began a summer uh, pulpit series uh, that I titled Voices from the Past, um, Minor Prophets with a Modern Message. I thought it was a great title, actually. And I was equally excited about the plan to participate with uh, and, and do about half of those um, s- sermons in this summer series. There are 12 altogether, and uh, I was ready and set to do six of them. And I was really excited to, um, to partner with Pastor Michael, who was going to, uh, I was planning to share the pulpit and, and the privilege, to tell you the truth, that I feel every Sunday when I get to stand here and uh, share with you God's word. And um, uh, let me just stop for a second and say, what a blessing to watch you grow, Michael, uh, Pastor Michael. I, uh, you rock it, dude. You, d- you did. You rocked it. And um, it was really good. I was with you every week. Debbie and I both were, uh, but oftentimes unable to be present here. So I, um, I just, uh, in fact, just a quick word. Debbie is uh, this morning watching from her hospital room and now her 43rd day of uh, being in the hospital this summer since this series began. And um, good morning, sweetheart. It's, it's good that you're here. So, um, But she will be coming home tomorrow for another uh, stretch of weeks, two or three weeks to rest and then return again for more chemo. So you, um, uh, I, I just want to tell you everything about her world and about my world and about our world has changed, everything. And um, <clears throat> I, I also want you to know that um, that is true of many people, some in this room, who are living uh, in and have, in some cases, gone through or are going through the health hurricane that hit our family on June 10th of this year. Um, I, I could call out names, they're here, and, um, and they too would join me in telling you thanks for the enormous support and care and kindness and prayers that are just constant on, on behalf of the people that are hurting. Um, I'm going to tell you more about how the Lord has used that to leverage a message about him in just a couple of minutes. But I just want you to know something. If you're one of those people that have reached out to the Wilsons and to us and to many others that are hurting and struggling, Jesus, I want you to hear this. Jesus is incredibly proud of you. He is. And we're very thankful for you. So those two things I wanted you to hear. Uh, Today, uh, we come to the final uh, message in a series. It's, uh, it's got all the energy as the beginning message, but there's an element of sadness. And I'm going to confess to you relief. I'm ready to move on uh, in uh, what's next, which is next Sunday, we begin a series uh, I've titled Choices, Do the Right Thing. And it'll be out of the book of Judges. So you've got a whole week to find judges in your Bible. And then just do this. 
and, and clear the room because there will be a lot of dust for most people. The judges is not exactly where most go to for their quiet time. It's in a, it's in a competition with Leviticus. I don't, I'm not sure which one, uh, but they're all worthwhile. And uh, we're going to spend some time in the next three months going uh, into that series. But I want to bring you into something right now. You probably have had a question on your mind that I've had on my mind when it comes to um, how these voices from the past, as we've called it, have relevance to people today. I've wondered very, very practically, how do these voices uh, from these minor prophets, they're properly named the Twelve. That's the name theologians have given them. How do those voices matter to us today? To answer that question, and by the way, you have to answer it for yourself. But let me give you, um, let me reveal to you today a bias. Some of you wonder this about uh, how does the Bible in general and the minor prophets in particular apply to me? And I want to share with you two biases that have been in play 100% of the time since I began preaching God's word 40 years ago. These two biases are in play. And I think they shape for me my answer to how is this relevant today. Um, It's the belief, you can write this down if you want, that everything in the Bible, everything, cover to cover, starting with Genesis, ending with Revelation, 100% of those two books and everything in between is intended for two audiences, at least. Now, the first obvious, uh, first one's rather obvious. The first audience is the person or people uh, at the time that the letter or book or gospel was written, they're they're sometimes named, oftentimes they have uh, a city, attached to them. Take, for example, First Thessalonians, First and Second Thessalonians. Both letters were written by the human author, the Apostle Paul. And they're written to people that lived in the ancient northern Greece city of Thessalonica. You can check a map today, look for the Aegean Sea. They're kind of northwest. And you'll see Thessalonica. And those people were real people in 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 that city at that time. Here's the grabber, and this draws you and me in. They had questions. Christianity was new to them. It didn't make a lot of sense. They knew that 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 it was creating quite a disturbance in the world. They just didn't know uh, all the details, and and it caused them to wonder about some questions. So, how is this Jesus? to make a difference in my life. Let's take one that they wondered about. How can I live a pure life in a sexualized world? You thought that was new for the 21st century? It's not. It was true then, and that's why 1 Thessalonians 4 addresses that. This is the will of God, your your sanctification, that is that each of you knows how to possess his or her body in purity. And then he goes on to explain some ways to do that. So that was one of their questions. They also had a question that many of 
uh, you have asked me, we've had conversations about what happens when somebody dies, breathes their last in this life, and they knew Jesus. Well, describe that. You're not the first one that wondered that. Neither was I. You turn to 1 Thessalonians and you find answers for that. And then here's a biggie that hasn't happened yet. There were a lot of those people going, um, we, we hear about Jesus coming back and boy, do we want that to happen soon. Can I get an amen? In the Bible, they said Maranatha. You know what that means? Somebody that knows Greek? Oh, I don't know. So you'll have to call me and tell me about the answer. Come quickly. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's the, they didn't just go, hey, I hope the Lord returns. It's like Maranatha. Come now. The door is open, Jesus. There's actually room in the house. Come on in. And um, they wondered that. They wondered, when's it going to happen? Anybody ever have that question on their mind? This morning? You know, it's of course. So chapter 5 is about that. The Apostle Paul, what I'm trying to say is everything that he wrote those two churches, he was addressing relevant issues in the pew, we would say today, in the people. There's a second audience, of course, and that's everyone else, you and me. Everybody since the first century, or if you go back to the Old Testament, everybody since creation who wondered things. Um, they weren't addressed. I've never lived in Thessalonica. But those words, I'm the second audience for. I'm one of the others that wants to know those things. Um, all right. How many of you have a list of people you're going to say hello to in heaven someday? That's it? Come on, everybody, right? Okay, so... Uh, how many of you want to say hello, and if you can, have coffee with somebody that's in the Bible? All right, I know Jesus, okay? He's going he's gonna to have too much caffeine in heaven if all of us get time with him. But, um, but you probably have a, a list of people. How many of you have on your list Theophilus? Okay, let me, uh, I know it sounds like a trick question. How about let's call him Theo? That doesn't help you? Maybe this will help you. Um, there was one of the gospel writers that was a physician. You know his name? Luke. And uh, so he, he was given to details. He was careful, thoughtful, sequential. And um, in both the gospel bearing his name, Dr. Luke, and in the book of Acts, which he also wrote. Did you know that? By the way, if you want to do the math, add those two together. Luke wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else, including the Apostle Paul. Add all he said and add all Luke said, and Luke beats him. I mean, they weren't in competition, but you get my point, right? So here's the deal. In both Luke, first chapter, and in um, Acts, he says, I write these things to you, Theo. Right? Theo, Theophilus. He's talking about Theophilus. And I write these things to you, and I don't know a thing about Theophilus. 
But I spend a lot of time in Luke, the gospel, and a lot of time in Acts. And boy, am I sure there's a Theophilus, am I glad there's a Theophilus out there, amen? Here's, here's what I'm trying to say. Um, Paul wrote all, or uh, uh, Luke wrote all these things to this Theophilus. All we know that he's somewhere between curious about Christianity to crazy uh, interest. It would be the difference between sitting back and trying to stay awake in a sermon and going, now nah, I got all of you. Yeah, some of you are going, dude, I was about to sleep. And uh, no, it, it was there, somewhere in there is this Theophilus. And he, he has his questions answered. I've just described 100% of the people I know who at some point, some of you in this room, some watching, who opened their Bible at some point and went, what's in this thing? Okay? Uh, you might be just curious, a tire kicker, just, you know, not a big commitment level yet. Or you might be crazy excited. You see Jesus making a difference in other people, and you're like, I want him to make that kind of difference in me. And that's the second audience. So what I've been saying is every one of these 12 minor prophets, the voices from the past, were spoken to real people with real lives in real places. And here's the connection now. If God has had his way in this series, um, those same voices have made a huge difference. They've been a very personal message to you just like they have been to me. Now you know what I, uh, how I approach 100% of what I say in, in the pulpit. So uh, it's not surprising that the last voice uh, from the past is Malachi, as Pastor Michael teased last week, Malachi, the Italian prophet. He wasn't, but it's a good joke. It, it really was funny when I heard it in seminary the first time. But anyway, um, he spoke some engaging words in the last chapter. If you haven't uh, turned there, I'd like you to turn to just, it's six verses. It's a small chapter. Would you look at chapter six, uh, chapter four in Malachi, last of the 12? I just want to catch your attention on two statements, three statements that he made here. You'll notice if you have a Bible like mine that the the second page is mostly blank because that was it. He has six verses that the Holy Spirit had him write down. He says about the day of the Lord, Surely the day is coming. It will burn like a fire. All the arrogant and evil, every evildoer will be stubble. And that day is coming that will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Isn't Malachi having a bad moment? This is Malachi preaching and teaching God's truth. Not a root, how big's this fire coming? Not a root or branch will be left. But for you, verse 2, who revere my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves, and you will will trample on the wicked, and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. On that day when I act, again, says the Lord Almighty. Notice, remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws 
And if you're a student of the scripture, you're going back right now to Exodus 20, Numbers 14. You're going back to Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. It's where the Ten Commandments were given. I gave him those commandments for all of Israel. Look at verse 5, though. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. There is, at the very least, you have to conclude, we're reading about, about a very big deal day. Right? Uh, you can even get hints of it in verse 17 in the previous chapter. On that day, he says, I will act. Big deal day. And it will be a day where two very distinct developments unfold. One is so awful, it's difficult to talk about, except for the fact that God said it. And that's verse 1. And it has to do with a day where God's wrath against unrepentant evildoers. The scoffers of Isaiah 5, verse 20, who say this, Woe to you, Isaiah says, who call good bad and who call bad good. Know anybody like that? Live around people like that? Been that person? Sure. You found a way to justify bad and called it good. Hey, you know, I should be able to have this. Why should I deny myself? Whatever that is. Woe to you, Isaiah says. And the Bible is saying, you're a scoffer. If you're one of those people that says, you know something? In fact, I'm not convinced about this God thing because after all, this kind of garbage has been going on for a long time, and y'all been talking about Jesus coming back forever. I sound like Peter now in Second Peter 3. And he says, surely that day is coming, and it will, be, it will burn like a furnace. Um, Second Thessalonians, I keep getting into that book, but um, Second Thessalonians chapter 1, you'll hear about that fire again. You'll hear it again and again because it's true and it's real. And by the way, it doesn't just burn trees and bushes. We just read that it's going to take out the roots and all. No root or branch will be left to those who are evildoers and refuse to repent. Please hear that second half of my sentence. Because I'm looking at a room full of evildoers and you're looking at one that just... Um, has lived that too. But I've repented. If you haven't repented, verse 1 still applies to you. Please repent. Surrender. Submit. Yield to the one who bled like a lamb we just sang about. But verse 2, and I say but verse 2, how does verse 2 begin? What's the word? A little transition word, right? But. But you who fear me, you who revere me, you who have come to a place of humility and acknowledged your sin, that will be a day that the son of righteousness, not S-O-N, it's not referring to that, it's the fruit of the son of God, 
It's the benefit and blessing of his righteousness. I'm not a farm guy, but I love what I uh, see sometimes. Debbie's from a family, um, there were a lot of horses, uh, thoroughbreds, and and she grew up on a ranch, uh, going to a ranch with her grandfather and grandmother, and they, they all the kids, all the grandkids had horses, and there was uh, cattle, thousands of cattle and uh, thousands of acres. It was a, it was a storied childhood like that, right? And, and they would describe things that livestock would do. I didn't know anything about what verse 2 was saying, but it's really true. They, they will be like these well-fed calves, and calves that were born indoors, say, in the winter, and then finally the sun is coming out, and they do silly things, like they kick up their, um, I don't know, legs? Yeah, their backside, and they're, you know, bouncing around and having a blast. They're frolicking in the sunshine. You guys are all chuckling because you're thinking, don't illustrate with farm stuff ever again, Pastor. It's just not your thing. But what is true here? Those two days are coming. Um, and as a precursor, verse 5 tells us Elijah will announce their arrival, the beginning. You've you got to say, if you lived in this day of Malachi, about 450 B.C., you're like, wait a second, you threw me off, Malachi. You're talking about somebody that lived 400 years before you. And yet you're talking about something that's in the future. The Bible does that a lot. Elijah is going to come. And he will come before the day of the Lord comes. Part of his work is to call people out, to say, stop sinning. By the way, he didn't just pick on people. He took on the religious elite, just like Jesus did after him, and said, you guys are off. You've missed it. Um, you're going to see Elijah before you see the Savior, is what the text is telling us. And with that, with those words, the Old Testament ends. So I want you to do what I'm doing right now. Would you flip the page from Malachi? Got your Bible open? Or do it in your mind right now? If you flip the page, in my Bible, it's one, two. Go to Matthew 3. So in my Bible, there's three pages to do that. Pretty quick and easy, right? When you come to these words at the beginning of chapter 3, in those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You can't read those words without having some sort of sense that maybe Malachi's words are coming true. I'm not, I'm not going to go into detail, but there was a group of people that actually thought, well, maybe, the, maybe reincarnation is true. They actually thought, literally, that Elijah was coming back. He's been dead for years, but he's coming back. And they believed and taught that, some did. It's not what's being said at all. In fact, Jesus goes on to explain um, chapter 11, verse 14, 
that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah predicted by Malachi that we just read. So you've got Elijah that stands out in history, uh, 1 Kings 18 to 2 Kings 2. That's his window of time. He was a real guy, and he did some bold things, some of the most bold things a prophet ever did, taking on the prophets of Baal and Asherah, these, these idols of the time. But there's a one coming in his spirit that will look like, sound like, live like Elijah. It'll be like Elijah all over again. Uh, and that's exactly what Jesus is saying. Thus, it would suggest that Elijah is that, or that John the Baptist is that voice. My title today is A Final Voice, wouldn't it? I mean, he's a big deal. But Jesus actually said in chapter 11 of Matthew, I tell you the truth. All of you who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. Period. Yet, even the least person in my kingdom is greater than he. You got to go, wait a second. So, so John the Baptist as great as he was, and who came in the spirit of Elijah, isn't the final voice? No. I'm looking at the final voice. And you're hearing from one of the final voices. Really? Yeah, Jesus actually said this at the end of his work on earth before he left to return to the Father in heaven. All authority has been granted me in heaven and on earth. In other words, listen to what I have to say because it's, it, I don't have to appeal to anybody. I have this authority to tell you. He said from there, go into all nations and make disciples. Nations trips us up because you're thinking, I can't get on an airplane. What am I supposed to do? Your nation is your apartment. Your nation is your neighborhood. Your nation is your job. Your nation is your classroom, students. Your nation is, you get what I'm saying? Your family. Go into all, nation, all the nations and make disciples of them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've taught you. And lo, I will be with you. I'll be with you nonstop until the end of the age. What I, what the, so-called Great Commission is, is about, it's a voice. It's a, it's a voice that needs to be spoken. It's a message that people need to hear. And guess what? You're the messenger. So am I. I told you earlier that um, uh, since my wife's diagnosis with acute myeloid leukemia, uh, our world has changed. I want to give you a simple way that it's changed me and changing me still. Um, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. But I've, I've always looked at evangelists and gone, man, you, you, 
you were ahead of me in line when gifts were handed out because you, like Billy Graham's of the world, my dad's an evangelist. My, uh, the Brad Butcher that many of us know as a missionary. You just go, Brad, you're so cool. You just say it and people go, oh, yeah, I want to come to Jesus. Man, this and, and I've never t- thought of myself that way until now. You know why? I kind of ba- backed into it, actually. It was by surprise. I found my voice. And it, and it came as a response to a question, the most common question I've been asked in three months now. How you doing? From wonderful people, from neighbors, some of them strangers, people I don't know. They say, how you doing? And I think I shock them. My, my normal response is, you know what? I'm doing really well. But I have help. And they look at me like, huh? And if you didn't know our story, you would be right now curious like they are. You'd be going, what is this gummy bear pot you're taking? What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, then you get that in Portland, right? I don't know. What, how, you, how are you doing well with acute myeloid leukemia afflicting your wife? That does not make sense. And I tell them, I, I just go right into Psalm 46.1. Because the Bible says, God is our refuge and our strength. We need both of those. Our constant companion, our ever-present help in times of trouble. I don't care if you don't know a thing about cancer. You know it's trouble, right? Would you agree? It is trouble. So we qualify, and God says, because I'm going to be your constant helper, your continuous helper in times of trouble. So I tell them. And by the way, it doesn't take, it takes about 15 seconds. Even then, no one's going to walk out on a sermon. I mean, you know, you just give it, just say it. And by the way, Debbie's the same way. You people who pray, and, and some of you that join in the women's group and the men's group praying around here, you are such a beautiful blessing, and your reach is beyond Debbie or me. If you were to go into her hospital room in any of these 43 days, you would see beautiful cards that Judy Armstrong, they're beautiful pictures, and on the back is somebody's love note in Jesus' name. And people come into her room, and before they're checking on the patient, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's got an ev- There's a voice coming out of room 458 right now. Amen? So we have help. And can I just add one more thing? The help is, uh, I see Amazon trucks and I think of telling you this. How many of you buy things on Amazon? Like almost every day, right? And, and how does that stuff get to you? A army of trucks and vans and drivers, and I think they actually work through the night because I routinely come out to the front porch in the morning and there's, I'm like, oh, I went to bed late. How did that get here? And they came and they delivered something. That's what God does. He's our ever-present help and he has people like y'all delivering his help. Amen and amen and amen. Um, I want to go back to one more thing. 
and we'll be done. Um, when I had you take an awkward moment a moment ago and go to ch from chapter three, uh, 4 to the New Testament, from Malachi to Matthew, the reason I had you do that is because I wanted to make a point. That took us, I think I timed it five seconds, most of us, maybe a few less. But you just crossed over that simple turning of pages was 400 years. There is nothing. This just says the New Testament. I've only got two and a half pages in my Bible that are blank for the 400 years of silence. And it is true. It was a long silence. Um, but did that mean that nothing was going on? Stay with me for a second. It's really important. That God was on a big break. I mean, why would God go quiet? He's nothing for 400 years. Maybe, maybe he had given up. You ever thought that way? You don't have to wave your hand and stuff. You probably have. And it doesn't take 400 years for you to give up. You just go, man, I'm, I'm wearing out. I'm running down. Maybe you thought, you know, he's no longer on the scene of human history. He was a big deal in the Old Testament and big deal again in the New Testament. But pff, I haven't seen anything, a whole, a whole lot of anything since then. So it turns out that God was working behind the scenes, and he was working his greatest plan, the sending of his son, Jesus, the Messiah, to save sinners. He was putting together the details. There is a single verse in the New Testament that gives me authority in telling you what I just told you. Galatians 4, verse 4, says very, Paul wrote a church in South Asia, probably slightly to the east of Turkey today, and he wrote these people and he said that Jesus came, Jesus arrived, Jesus was revealed at just the right time. Those people hearing that had just come off 400 years of silence. So I want to ask you a couple of questions, then we're going to have communion and be done. How do you measure God working in the world today? I'm just going to be vulnerable and put it out there. I've struggled with that one. I've been, I've cursed COVID. I'm sick of it. But I'm sick of the, not the bug, whatever it is, a bug or a virus, but I don't even care. I'm sick of the impact that it's had in my, my world, in my church. It's Jesus' church, that's what I mean, but you get what I'm saying. That's, that, that easily a third of the church has vanished. And I'm not talking Grace Point, I'm talking churches everywhere. The ones that have grown, ask them where'd you come from, and 100% of them will tell you, well, from this or that or whatever. Like, what is happening? I've struggled 
with that, let me go more personal than you, than, than, than just the church, because that's my orientation. I'm here a couple, couple days a week. <laughs> um, but how about your family? You prayed a prayer a long time for them, probably, if you're like most of us. What about, what about that length of time? How about let's go a step further, your marriage, for those of you that are married. Or, or your neighborhood. Or your, your ministry. Do you know we all have a ministry? Supposed to. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12. Sometimes there's very little progress, I confess to you. Very little progress in most of those areas. But let me tell you something my dad told me this week, two days ago. Don't give up. Don't give up. God isn't done. 400 years of silence was followed by the greatest event in history. The coming to earth of God in the flesh in the form of a baby born in Bethlehem. And every life in this room has been changed because of that. That's worth waiting for. Okay, I'm going to date myself, but... I used to love listening to Amy Grant. All right? She has a song called El Shaddai. You know what I mean? It's God Almighty. You know that in Hebrew? If not, go to seminary and learn Hebrew. But anyway, uh, El Shaddai, she has this, it's got these words in it. Through the years, you made it clear that the time of Christ was near. Though the people couldn't see what Messiah ought to be. Though your word contained the plan, they just couldn't understand that your most awesome work was done in the frailty of your son. I know the truth that you're thinking. Pastor, that's a long wait, but we, we seem like we're in a longer wait. You seem correctly. Our wait's been five times longer and counting since Jesus came, lived his life, gave his life, came back to life, and went to heaven until we see him one day. It's a long wait since then. 2,000 years and counting. Uh, but God is still to come. Long waits are hard but they're worth it. He will return. Don't despair over the long silence. Use what time he's given you to be that voice. And until then, let's keep walking with Jesus. Let's stay hand in hand with each other. Let's not give up. Let's bow now as we prepare for communion together. Will the servers join me here in front? Jesus, I love you. I thank you. And I need you.
You said that you're not slow about keeping your promises, as some understand slowness, but you're patient toward all, not wishing for any to perish. You don't like verse 1 that we started this message about. It's not like you take joy in fire that destroys. God, we come to you as people today that um, we want our perspective to change to a perspective of expectation that the Son of Righteousness will pour out upon people that fear you and revere you. You're here this morning and that's true. You're watching online. It's true. You belong to Jesus. Then communion's for you to remind you of the staggering cost that Jesus incurred for you to have hope and life. You said that the day is coming just like a thief. I don't know a lot about thieves, but they seem like they do their work by surprise. It happens and no one really expected it. But you said the heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. So since all of that's to take place when the wait is over, What kind of people should we be? People surrendered to Thee. People settled on who You are. People that haven't given up. People who hold on to the hope that You will return. And until then, Lord, help us to have that voice. 